Hello, and welcome to another episode of Grumpy Old Gay Men and Their Dogs. My name is Patrick Finn, and I am here with the loquacious Tommy Gibbons. Hey, bitches. Loquacious. Indeed. Welcome to our 21st episode on this 25th day of the calendar year. No. What day is it, 21? It's the 21st episode. Oh, what day is it? Today is the 25th day of 25, the year. 25, 25. 25. Yes. That was a month since Christmas. Yes, a month since Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I wouldn't have been able to do that had we continued with my theory. I would not have been able to do the subtraction between 25 and 300 and what was it? 48. Oh, no. I would never have been able to figure out that it was a month ago if I had to do that math with those numbers. Go ahead. You know, it's an experiment. Well, thank you for sharing with us. It's an experiment. We should be able to tell, like, every 30 numbers. Go ahead. Just go ahead. How are you, Tommy, since I last saw you Right now, a little befuddled. A little confused. A a A little in the head. Why? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. I am old. Well, Things yeah. Things happened that you cannot explain. And you continue. <laughs> Until you, you know, go to bed. Okay. Like a reset button. Go to bed. So does that mean you're doing okay otherwise? Oh, uh, listen. Yeah, I'm fine. Y- y- you sure? Yeah, I'm fucking fine. I'm not in a good? mud hut in Africa. I'm not in a fucking <laughs> foxhole in Iraq or whatever the hell Or it is. Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine. That <laughs> the fuck is he doing over there? Nothing yet. We'll find uh, out soon enough, nothing. I guess. Yeah, he's doing something. Right. He's in balls deep with all those men he's got surrounding that fucking country. What the fuck we think supposed to think he's going to do? I get get Fuck. Go ahead. Just go. Oh, thank you. Take me out of here. Well, Stephen Show opened this past weekend. Stephen Show, where he plays a corpse. No, he does not play the corpse. He plays one of the suspects in Murder on the Orient Express. He plays a suspect of a murder. Yes. And it was very good. I, I caught act two of it. Did he do it? I can't reveal that. Yeah, of course you can reveal it. How old is the story? Murder on the Orient Express is fairly old, probably mm. about eighty years old oh, now. Oh yeah, well no, there's gotta be there's gotta be somewhere somebody in their nineties never heard of it. I'm gonna give it away. I'm sure there is, and I'm sure they don't know who did in fact when I was at the show, there were these three high school, college age girls, and they still couldn't figure out some of the things in it. It's like wow. Can I tell okay. you I am the worst. <laughs> My niece can like and her father could do this, I think. Could sit in front of a movie and in the first 10 minutes plot the entire thing out and know how it was going to... I could, in my life, never do something like that. Some movies you could. No. Some movies are fairly predictable. No. I always miss it. Always. I always I always miss it. Always. Well, anyway, his show opened this weekend. My show ran all weekend. Yeah, okay. That's, all, that's about all new with us. That's what we've been, that's what we've been busy doing. You Down know? on Wellwood Avenue. Yep. Theater Row of Long Island? Yes, yes, indeed. They should really do something with that. Like, why can't that be a thing? A, a thing? Yeah, like a Theater Row. Like, it's a right. It, it I exists. think you should talk to the village of Lindenhurst about that, and maybe you should petition for a name change on the roadway to have it called Theater Row. Bitch, I don't care that much. And I'm not talking about the roadway. I'm talking about culturally to have that sort of place that exists. Oh. But never mind me. Talk to the village. What the fuck? Go ahead. Anyway, we have something to celebrate. We have something to celebrate. No yes. balloons, no glitter. As of yesterday. No naked dancing boys. No, afraid not. I could get Bryson here to do that, but no, I don't think that's necessary. Talk about your afraid not. <laughs> but anyway, we, as of yesterday, we have 900 downloads of our podcast now. 900 downloads. The most recent one being from the country of Qatar. 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 Or, you know, Q-A-T-A-R. Qatar. So people, yes, Qatar. Let me ask you a question. Pronounce Qatar. Uh, the capital of Ukraine? Oh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, you do. I do? Yeah, you do. Why do I know? Starts with a K, ends with a V. Two vowels in Kiev. between. Kiev, okay. Say it again. Kiev. 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 Okay, do you, do you, do you recognize this new push to call it Kiev? I haven't, I haven't even heard of that. Okay. I haven't even heard of that. Kiev. When you hear Kiev, you'll be hearing it a lot. So, so when they some people so when, say Kiev. So, when if you're in a restaurant, you're gonna order the chicken Kiev now? No, of course not. Don't be so dense. But it's chicken Kiev. It's because of it, where it comes from. Yes, supposedly. but governments change things, and evidently, for some reason now, Kiev 
Maybe it's the way it's pronounced in Kievian. Maybe it's pronou- that's the way it's pronounced in the Ukrainian language. Kievian. I'm not sure what the dominant language is there, so... But I don't either. Well, any reason why we're discussing the capital of Ukraine? And you're the one with the you're the one with the script. <laughs> I Go mentioned ahead. Cutter. You went to Ukraine. You all right? Well, you say you can't say what like Cutter and not expect me to react. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead, Cutter. Anyway, we have a listener comment. I love this. Oh my God! There's nothing for me to ring. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We have no, no. <laughs> Completely wrong, but it, <laughs> oh, somebody said something. Yes. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Uh, Not since Scott Earl a, has. Go ahead. It's a young lady named Michelle Hayes Riley. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. This is going to be good. Her comment is: Hey guys, just want to let you know I've been teaching since 1996, and every single day we have always said the Pledge of Allegiance. The idea that the Pledge of Allegiance is not said in schools anymore, to my knowledge anyway, is completely false. Okay. There you go. Thank so, you, Mickey. Thank you, Michelle. To, to explain to you who Michelle is to me, I don't have the time, the words. Okay. Okay. We go way back, way, way back. Okay. Way, way, way back. Kind yes. of too far back. Right. Stone um, Age. Sto- uh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, and and that she participated. Thank you for the information. The 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 salute to the flag. The yeah. Pledge of, Pledge Pledge of allegiance. allegiance. Have you? Uh, it's strange to me when you when you recite things by rote. Right. You do it by the rhythm. You do it by the sound. Of course. Okay. We pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America uh-huh. and to the republic for which it's so. You sort of and it's said the same way every day. And then somewhere down the line, in like your forties, you say the words slowly, like say the words as though they were a sentence. We pledge allegiance right to the flag. Okay. So it's not just about intonation, but when you instead of just saying the sound. Rotely, think about what you're saying. Changes things. Okay. Thank you for that word of advice concerning the Pledge of Allegiance. Could you imagine every day for 29 years? What? Saying, say, just doing anything. <laughs> doing any fucking thing every day for 29 years. Yeah. You're being difficult for no reason. <laughs> Zero reason. Go ahead. Thank you, Mickey, for the comment. Yes, thank you very much. I love we you. We welcome comments from our listeners. All of you. Not just the porn. We now move on to our first segment of the evening, Heavy Petting. Heavy Petting. Get your hand away from there. And today we're going to talk about the health benefits of owning a pet. Oh. I got this information from a site called healthguide.org. Healthguide? But it seems that studies show that pet owners are less likely to suffer from depression than those without pets. People with pets have lower blood pressure in stressful situations than those without pets. Okay, hold on. I am high stress, depressed, and have high blood pressure. Go. Okay. One study even found that when people with borderline hypertension adopted dogs from a shelter, their their blood pressure declined significantly within five months. Playing with a dog, cat, or pet pet can also elevate levels of serotonin and dopamine, which help to calm and relax you. Pet owners also have lower triglyceride and cholesterol levels than those without pets, and those are indicators of heart disease. Heart disease. Heart attack patients with pets survive longer than those without. And pet owners over age 65, that's your age bracket, right? Why don't you shut up and eat me? (laughs) Well, they make 30% fewer visits to their doctors than those without pets. What, what is hilarious to me about what everything you just said is yep. zero of it applies to me. <laughs> Not a single thing of that applies to me. Why is that? I don't, I don't know why that is. I'm <laughs> making an observation. Now, I was going to ask you a question about what do they credit that to? They say one of the reasons they think is because uh, uh, pets fulfill the basic human need for touch. Oh, is there a basic? I guess they're really. They, 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 there was one study that, uh, that with hard, uh, hardened criminals in prison showed uh, long-term changes in their behavior after interacting with pets. Many of them experiencing mutual affection for the first time. Well, that's because that's how they they got the heroin. In. Right, but they say that stroking, hugging, or otherwise touching a, a, a loving animal listening. can calm and soothe you when you're stressed or anxious. 
That's what I'm saying, though. Like, what is it? Is it just that they're there? They're there. You can touch them. You can hold them. That magic thing. They're going to let you touch them. They're going to want to touch you. Right? Okay. I mean, we do that with other animals when we see them, like in a zoo or whatever. Yeah, but nobody gives a fuck. Certainly the other animals (laughs) that live with us, they don't give a fuck. They don't care. I'm sure. I don't know if the dogs or the cats do either. The cats? Well, no. I'm sure they enjoy the touch because we're always rubbing them and petting them and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Because you see them lean in for it, even cats. You see them lean yep. in for it. You see them like it. You see. Yeah, plus, pets know when you're feeling ill also. The I know whole I, Abigail does. I have, does, you never, know? I have never owned a dog who gave a shit that I was sick ever. Wow, the dogs really must not like you. Not, oh my God. <laughs> I, I, having a heart attack. My bathroom floor. Pickering's like, squirrel. Go ahead. <laughs> for older uh, persons... Like you. Like me. They say pets are good for maintaining your vitality because they encourage playfulness, laughter, exercise, which can help boost your immune system and increase your energy. It's like you're mocking me with this. Yeah, if I can. Yeah, why not? Go ahead. (laughs) Children who grow up with pets have less risk of allergies and asthma. And they also learn to... About responsibility and empathy from having a dog or a cat or another pet. Breathe. Yes. Incidentally, we've there's always been a dog in the house while I was growing up, and I can only breathe through my nose four weeks out of the year. So that blows that whole thing away. And as far as the rest of what you said, PTSD has blocked that image out. So I can't <laughs> respond to it. But it must have been a doozy because... Obviously. What was it? What? What was what? Never mind. Okay. I'll 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 wait for the reruns. Lastly, children with autism with autism or other learning disabilities are better able to interact with pets than people. Is autism a learning disability? I don't know how it's characterized. Go ahead. But autistic children often rely on nonverbal cues to communicate, right. just like animals do. So learning to first connect with a pet may help them in their interactions yeah, 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 with, yeah, with other, other people, people then. Right. So Fascinating. Get a pet. It's good for your health. Right. Despite all the evidence you know, I You're can the provide. exception to the rule, every, okay? But, but every rule, Patrick? <laughs> then you're not interacting with your dog in the right way, then. Holy fuck me. <laughs> go ahead. Go, go, because I just, I don't have the words, the time, the patience, or the medication to to address that right now. But you have the wine. I have wine, which is funny because it's like, you know, the guy who's running on the thing, working out, he has his water. Go ahead. Move on. Move on. We are going to move on to our next segment, your favorite segment. The birthday. Today's birthdays. Well, we, we, we celebrate all the birthdays of the dead people. Oh, why don't we celebrate dead days? Die days? I mean, days that people died on? Because they're all dead. Yes, but we're celebrating their life. Why would we commemorate their death? We didn't celebrate the 20th anniversary. We didn't celebrate there's something happened to 900 people. We didn't sell. So, so we said, give me that. You can talk to my producer, okay? Yeah, yeah. Talk, go complain to the producer. We all, we, we all know who the brains behind the operation is. <laughs> anyway, our first birthday celebrant is dead. She was born... January 25th, 1882. She was born Virginia Stevens in London. She attended King's College in London. Following her father's death in 1904, she moved to the Bloomsbury section of London, where she fell in with a group of writers and thinkers called the Bloomsbury Group. That sounds pretty, doesn't it? Bloomsbury? Bloomsbury. Right? I like the sound of that. I mean, it, it automatically is the comic strip, but it sounds pretty as a place. Yes. The group included E.M. Forster, the writer, economist John Maynard Keyes, and writer Leonard Wolfe, whom Virginia married in 1912. So she's Virginia Wolfe. It's Virginia Wolfe. In 1917, they founded together Hogarth Press, which published most of her works. But nobody else would. Right. She had several affairs with women, most famously with writer Rita Sackville West. Their relationship inspired each other's work. Uh, probably most prominently in the uh, novel Orlando. Her other novels include Mrs. Dalloway, which became the basis for the film The Hours, To the Lighthouse, and The Waves. She unfortunately suffered from mental illness for most of her life, 
And doctors nowadays, um, looking at her history, think it was probably bipolar disorder. But back in those days, there was no diagnosis or treatment for it. She was institutionalized several times, and she twice attempted suicide before she drowned herself in 1941 at the age of 59. She was known as a feminist, an anti-colonialist, an anti-imperialist, an atheist, and a pacifist. But she also appeared from her private writings to harbor prejudices against Jews, disabled people, lower-class people, among others. Have you got a problem with disabled people? She did. What, what kind of... I, I don't have the, all that information. You'd have to go research further. She is considered one of the most important 20th century authors and a pioneer in the use of stream of consciousness as a narrative device. A number of authors have cited uh, her influence on their work, including Margaret Atwood, Michael Cunningham, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and Toni Morrison. Interesting. So, happy birthday, Virginia Woolf. Yeah, I got. I have. I. I have nothing really to add to this. That whole sector of people. I know Marquez a bit. Okay, Gabriel Garcia Gabriel, Marquez. Yeah, yes, I know. I know him a bit, and, and you know what's Michael it? Cunningham. Did you re- ever read the Hours or any of his other books? No. Oh, okay. They're good. He's a good. But writer. that sort of and Tony Morrison. I'm sure you've heard of. Yes, um, I've read some Tony Morrison, but I'm not. I'm not big into that style, that sort of stream of consciousness. Oh, see, I've, yeah. I've learned to love it from reading Joyce. Uh, yeah, it's not for me. I need some grammar. I, I need a, I need a, I need a thought that carries past more than, and sometimes you cannot. You almost feel it's about rhythm. I'll stop talking when the rhythm ends. Well, in Joyce's in Joyce's novel Ulysses, the last chapter is called Penelope, and it's all stream of consciousness of this woman in bed thinking. How do you know it's not Penelope? And there are six sentences, or only six periods, in the whole thing, and it goes on for about eighty pages. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. I need me some punctuation. I'm not that smart. I can't. I can't do that by myself. And I got the time. Oh. And nobody got the time for that. I gotta fill in the punctuation. What's this IKEA novel? What would they? What would? What would they call a novel in like a? Uh, I got like that in that Swedish. You know how every piece of furniture has a Swedish name in the IKEA universe. Yes. What would they call? Uh, uh, Joey Owens. Joey Owens. If you're out there, Joey, I know you're not listening, but if you're out there, I want you to come up with a name for a IKEA an IKEA novel. Where you gotta put it together yourself. They come with a kid with, with a socket wrench, not a socket wrench. What is that? An Allen key, and and five hundred sets of the vowels. Okay. Then go ahead, have fun. Punctuation. You got three hundred commas. Go ahead, fill in the book. Moving on to our next birthday celebrant. Let the message get out of our from IKEA to Joey. He'll laugh. This one is. She is also dead. Thank God. She was born January twenty fifth, nineteen oh one, in Baltimore. I used to live in Baltimore. After becoming a teacher, she acted in a play while studying for her master's degree. Really, this dead woman is still more interesting than that. Yep. All right, go ahead. She began acting on Broadway in the 1930s. Uh, One of her notable performances was in the 1940s production of The Corn is Green, which she performed while she was still a full-time teacher at a Manhattan girls' private school. You say that like it's impressive. She made her screen debut in the 1945 film adaptation. Of, of the corn is green. Green Grover Island that starred uh, Betty Davis. Okay, the corn is green. The corn is green. Are you familiar with it? No. It's about a woman who uh, opens a school in this Welsh mining town. It's very good. Okay. In 1947, she became a founding member of the Actors Studio. She starred opposite Lee J. Cobb in the 1949 original production of Death of a Salesman, playing the role of Linda. She also played the role again in the 1951 film adaptation, for which she received an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Who's this now? That's, um, we're trying to figure out. Oh, you're trying to get me to say her name. I don't think you're going to know her name, though. She also originated the role of Big Mama in the 1955 Broadway production of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. I love Tennessee Williams. She also received her second Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress, for the 1956 film Baby Doll. She was also, I don't know if you're familiar with a film called Kiss of Death. There's this famous scene of Richard Widmark playing his young psychotic hood, and he pushes his woman downstairs in a wheelchair. No, but it sounds wonderful. It's a pretty intense scene. She played the woman in the wheelchair. Oh, oh, oh. So, so yeah, she worked yep. with gravity. Yep. 
Her last film Excessive was... Excessive work with gravity. Yes. Her last film was 1987's The Pickup Artist, which starred Robert Downey Jr. and Molly Ringwald. I love Robert Downey Jr. She died July 5th, 1991. Her name was Mildred Dunnick. Yeah, I never would have come up with that. I know. Mildred Dunnick. Mildred All right, Dunnick. Good for you, Dunnick. But now listen. you know. Now you know her Still, name. You lived a life well enough for him to spend a minute and a half boring the fuck out of me with details about it. So good for you, Matilda. Merlinda. What's her name? Matilda. <laughs> You've already forgotten. Jesus What's her name? Christ. No, you don't have to go figure it out. Better yet, you can listen to the podcast now when it comes out this later week and you can find out what her fucking name is. I have no idea where to find this podcast. Matilda. It was Matilda. Or it was, it was, it was, it wasn't Winifred. <laughs> we now move on to our next birthday celebrant. She's also dead. She was born Maria Corazon Sumalong Cojuanco oh, in the girl. Philippines. My girl. In January 25th, 1933. Keep going. She discontinued her law education to marry in 1944 aspiring politician Benino Aquino Jr. And how'd that go? He later became a senator in the Philippines Parliament. All right. But at the time, uh, the president of the Philippines was Ferdinand Marcos, and I believe in 1972, he basically declared martial law, scrapped the Constitution. Marcos did. And yes, and he had Aquino uh, arrested in jail. And sent out, right. Well, he was sent. Aquino was sent out when he needed uh, hearts. He needed cardiac surgery. So Marcos, what? He can't be dying. Yeah, he can't have him dying. Marcos can't have him be dying. So then Marcos let him out to go have the surgery with the agreement that he would stay there in the United States and never come back. Yeah, but that didn't happen because he decided to come back in on August twenty first, nineteen eighty three, and there's footage of it on on YouTube. Of him, as he gets off the plane, he's escorted by military officers, and they assassinate him right there on the spot. That's fucking drama, man. Yeah. That is high drama. That really was. Who's this bitch? That was, well, her husband's name was Benino Aquino. Her name was Corazon Aquino. Corazon. But uh, after, as a result of that, she then became the leader of the opposition party against the president. She and had no we, political experience whatsoever. Was she like the first woman to do it or in the Philippines or some shit? Well, yeah, basically. In late 1985, Marcos decided to call for a snap election and Aquino and ran lost. for president. Well, the election was held on February 7th, 1986. Who votes in February? Well, they do there. And the, the parliament proclaimed Marcos the winner. Well, but they which, had of to course, do that. he controlled the parliament. Of course he did. And, of course, there were allegations of fraud. And then Aquino called for massive civil disobedience, which then gave rise to the People Power Revolution, which was a whole nonviolent mass demonstration that lasted for about three days. And it was eventually joined by members of the Philippine Armed Forces, got support from the Catholic Church. And then Marcos left, he was ousted, and Aquino then became president on February 25th, 1986. And how did it go for her? Well, she served as president until June of 1992. She oversaw the creation of a a new constitution. They only could serve six years. Under the new constitution, uh, each person can only run for a six-year term. Six years, okay. But she had the option of running for a second term, being that it occurred while she was uh, president, but she chose not to. Why? Okay. One six-year term and then you're out. Yep. Goodbye. So she oversaw the creation of the new constitution. She oversaw legal reforms, land reform, and an overhaul of the economy from the crony capitalism that was benefiting Marco's buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he basically, she basically oversaw the ending of their monopolies in the sugar and coconut industries. Corazon. Corazon. Between 1986 and 1990, she survived nine plots to overthrow her. Ain't that some shit. Instigated by both current and former members of the then-current and former members of the country's armed forces. This, this is a musical. Uh, actually, there was a musical done in the Philippines. It's called, it's called Corey, a musical, I think. <laughs> oh, she, what did they call her? Corey? Corey, for short. Oh, that's musical. Corey. And, um... She remained story, active in politics story, after her story. presidency, and she died of cardiac arrest at the age of seventy. At the age of seventy-six, good for her. On August first of two thousand nine, good for her. Right, heart attack take you right out. Nice little bit of drama. Quite a life. 
Quite a life. So that's, a, that's an amazing thing. Cortisone. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. Cortisone! Cortisone! Yeah, I love it. This should be a musical. Yes. Yeah. Our last birthday celebrant. Let's hope they're dead. They are. Oh, good. So I love this. She was born January 25th, 1938. Her name was Jamesetta Hawkins. She was born in Los Angeles and later raised in the Fillmore District of San Francisco in the 50s, where she started singing doo-wop. Sounds sexy. She then later performed from the late 40s to the 60s in Nashville's R&B clubs. In 1955, she released her first single, The Wallflower, which went to number one on the R&B charts. In 1960, she signed with Chess Records and had a hit that year with All I Could Do Was Cry. The company thought that she had crossover appeal and they started adding violins and string arrangements to her music. Later that year, she released her first solo album called At Last! With an exclamation point, which included the hit A Sunday Kind of Love. The following year, she released the single At Last, followed by Trust in Me. In 1962, she released Something's Got a Hold on Me. After a few minor hits and blips in her career, she had a comeback with 1967's Don't uh, Tell Mama and I'd Rather Go Blind. So why didn't she have a career? In 1976, after opening for the Rolling Stones at the Montreux Jazz Festival, she disappeared from the music scene, dealing with heroin addiction and alcohol for 10 years. In 1984, she sang at the opening ceremony for the 84 Summer Olympics in L.A. (laughs) In 89, she released her comeback album, Seven Year Itch, Gesundheit. She continued to tour and record until 2010, when it was revealed that she was suffering from Alzheimer's and leukemia. She released her last album in 2011. Uh, She was married from 1969 until her death in 2012. She had two children. She died at age 73. Wow. She released almost 30 albums. She was nominated for a total of 15 Grammy Awards and won three. See, that's what I'm saying. She also won the Grammy Hall of Fame Award twice. One for the song At Last and the other for The Wallflower. She also received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2003 and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. That record made that much money. Which record? At Last. I guess so. To put her in all of that? Do you know her name? It's Anna James. Yes! Yeah, I can't believe that that record made... I guess, you know what? Fuck, have you been to a wedding in the past? And you hear it. You hear it on commercials. You hear it's that everywhere. song all, all it is over. Every, ubiquitous. The song... You no, know, a movie made it really popular was Pleasantville. The movie with Tobey Maguire, when um, they go back into the black and white TV world, and they start making... It starts becoming colorized. No, but fuck. But that but song it does, is featured it, there very well. It, That's where uh, I first really learned it. It puts you in a place oh god yeah yeah it definitely does it's that kind of a song i ne- I never understood why her career wasn't bigger well like i said because she dealt with heroin why, addiction why her and alcoholism you know so Amazing. that's that's so, it for our birthdays for today good for to james happy birthday to james love you our next segment is what day is it i don't know wednesday you'll like this one it's national irish coffee day i like irish coffee did you know Coffee cocktails were served in a glass whipped cream dating from mid-19th century Vienna. Whipped cream is a pain in the ass. Yes, it is. I'm not a big fan of it myself. I love it, but it is a pain in the ass. In 19th century France... Stickier than the floor of a porn studio. It is just (laughs) disgusting. In 19th century France, a mixture of coffee and spirits was called a Gloria. I thought you were going to say something else. But a man named Joe Sheridan claims... Uh, the invention of the Irish coffee. He was the head chef at a restaurant at, his, at what is now Shannon Airport in Ireland. What was Joe's last name? Sheridan. And he claimed that he added whiskey to the air passenger's coffee in 1942 or 43. A travel writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, Stanton Delaplane, maintains that he brought Irish coffee to the United States after drinking it at Shannon Airport. And he convinced this Buena Vista Cafe in San Francisco to start serving it in 1952. What do you have to convince? Sheridan himself then later emigrated to work at this cafe. Because... So that's the slight history of Irish coffee. That was not slight. That was for the weight that Irish coffee holds. Extensive history of Irish coffee. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. What the fuck? What don't you understand? It took for all that time that people was drinking coffee. For for somebody to put a shot of whiskey in it? 
Well, they probably did it beforehand, but no one was probably calling it Irish coffee, and then no one was marketing it in any way. Branding. Exactly. This is why I. This is where I fail. Marketing, branding. That's it. Yeah, I'm not good here. That's okay. We forgive you. No, you don't. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment, Turn Your Head and Cough. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effect. Well, you... Please, we can't get a fucking doorbell. Go ahead. ahead. Today's topic is about how exercise can alter the brain chemistry to protect your aging synapses. A study published in a recent edition of the Journal of the Alzheimer's Association found that when elderly people, like you, stay active, their brains have more of a class of proteins that enhances the connections between neurons to to maintain healthy cognition. It was a study done at the University of California in San Francisco. So how how old are we supposed to live? Like, how long are we supposed to last? Well, there's no answer on that. I mean, right now, the average age is somewhere in the high 70s, I believe. Now you got to get older. And people are people. generally living longer because people are living healthier lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is that a good thing? As long as you can still function and everything, I don't see any problem with it. We need people living like 100 years old. But that's why it's important to stay active, because when you don't stay active, I guess, that's how you leave your brain open to getting Alzheimer's. Because what happens is the brain starts accumulating these two toxic proteins. They're called amyloids and taus. And... Amyloids and taus? Yeah, and they cause the synapses and the neurons to fall apart. So now they're saying that by exercising and keeping active, that this will increase their body's chances of fighting off Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Right. But this is only one study, but it's a promising study. Is it? I think it is. Don't okay. you? No. That's because you don't want to exercise. Exactly. <laughs> I do not. But you really should. Don't tell me what to do, America. I'm not America. I'm your buddy. I'm just telling no, you. No, 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 America. You can't tell me what to do. I don't want to wear a mask, America. Oh, uh, okay, fine. I don't want to get vaccinated, America. <laughs> don't tell me what to do, America. Yes. America. We now move on to our next segment, where we take a look into my briefs. Oh, this is always the scary part. do 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 This past Monday, the Supreme Court said it would consider a pair of lawsuits alleging that Harvard University and the University of North Carolina discriminate against Asian American applicants. Okay. Basically, what they're doing is they're challenging the college admission programs, which are often known as affirmative action. Okay. Now, what that is exactly is when colleges go through all their applicants and trying to pick who they're going to admit... Some schools consider race, along with your grades and your school activities and your athletics, as one of uh, many factors they consider for admission. Right. Some schools have used this practice for decades as a way to address racial discrimination and others who are excluded from uh, other colleges. And let me ask, I'm sorry, as a program, mm-hmm. as the, the great evil, yes. How has it worked? Well, what has the result been thus far, Lee? Well, it's, it's helped to bring a more diverse mix of students to campus. Has it? Yes. Okay. It definitely has. Uh, you know, schools are that's when this came up, a lot of the schools are worried now that if these programs are wiped out, that the, there will be a goes decrease. Back to all white. It will, yeah, it will be a significant decrease in the number of, you know, non white okay, students. Okay, so in the meantime, the Asians are saying. But wait, you didn't weigh me in heavy enough, or what's going on with the Asians? Well, what happened is they they examined six years of data at Harvard, and they found that Asian American applicants had the strongest ap- academics, but were admitted at the lowest rates compared to students of other races. So I guess this went to court earlier, and a federal judge in 2019 upheld Harvard's admission practices, oh. saying that while it was not perfect, it passed constitutional muster. Okay. The judge said race-conscious practices always penalize groups that don't get an advantage, but they're justified by the compelling interest in diversity in college campuses. And I imagine this... And then an appeals court upheld that ruling in 2020, Okay. but then they appealed to the Supreme Court, and of course, this group, this new Supreme Court now, these three new conservative justices, agreed to take this because they're looking to... 
and dismantle affirmative action. Okay. They they think it's discriminatory in itself. Yes. Yes. Well, directly speaking, and in, in an absolutely direct definition of the word, they're right. Maybe, but who knows? We don't know exactly what this court's going to do. You know, we know we don't know. They may say well, they're totally Robinson unconstitutional, or they may say. Did this serve the compelling interest of promoting diversity on the campus? Right. Was that a compelling enough interest to override the, the claims made by these Asian American students? Okay. That's basically what's going to be an issue with this. But it doesn't look good for Harvard or University of North Carolina. Or Asian Americans. Or students. for affirmative action programs. It doesn't look good for them, to say the least. <sighs> yeah. That's all I got for you. A heaving sigh. A heaving sigh. Heaving. We, now moving on to our next segment. Yes, we are. It's this week in fascism. <laughs> <laughs> Always makes me giggle. And this week we bring up a, a a relic from the past, Newt Gingrich. Oh God, I heard something about him. Oh, he's yeah. I'm going to tell you what he said. Stupid. He was being interviewed on Fox News this past week. And he said, quote, I think when you have a Republican Congress, this is all going to come crashing down. And the wolves are going to find out that they are now sheep, and they're the ones who are, in fact, I think, face a real risk of jail for the kind of laws they're breaking. So basically he's talking about the January 6th committee. Okay. So he's saying, right. yeah, they're breaking the law by investigating. By holding this committee. Now, um, this I, man used to be speak for the House of Representatives. Yes, well, I was going to get into what his background was because I'm sure a lot of our listeners may not know who Newt Gingrich is. So but you're going to ruin it for them. Yes, I am. And bring him into their lives. Yep, because they might as well know he's the granddaddy of all this shit. Now, he also, I found out, Gingrich wrote a piece for Newsweek, Newsweek magazine, its most recent issue, called "The Wolves Will Become Sheep," and he wrote. <laughs> This is what he wrote. When some people acquire power, they become wolves. They take whatever savage actions are needed to win and dominate. They turn their opponents and critics into sheep who learn to be quiet or face vicious attacks and destruction. He then lists Joe Stalin, the Castros of Cuba, dictator Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, and Hugo Chavez of Venezuela as examples of wolves. Did you say He Joe then Stalin? goes on... Joe Stalin, yeah. Joe Stalin. They're all examples of wolves. Okay. And then, of course... Big surprise, he then says, the Democrats are wolves. So he's got to play on, play on people's fear, dehumanize the enemy, make an enemy, you know? He recommends that when the House takes back the House in 2022 midterms, that they should set up a select committee on congressional dishonesty and abuse of power to investigate the House Selected Committee investigating once uh, January 6th, as well as the U.S. Attorney General, the head of the FBI, and, quote, such other executive branch officials engage in persecuting Americans for their political views. <laughs> so yes, he wants to set up. He wants the Republicans to set up a select committee to investigate the a select, select committee. committee. That uh, he thinks is unlawful because it's a select committee. Well, this is where he goes into the victim whining. Now he writes, "The January sixth select committee is in the process of potentially bankrupting scores of Americans who worked for or supported President Trump." They face financial ruin defending themselves against the committee's attack. The legal cost of fighting subpoenas and the further cost of legal counsel if put under oath by a hostile congressional committee creates a real burden. That financial burden is compounded by the psychological stress of being under assault by the House Democrats and, who is and potentially defending? also the FBI. Who is he coming to the aid of? Who is he defending? Who is he talking about? The Trump who? administration and the one six. People, the people you know? who, the people who, uh, but mostly the all the Trump officials and the campaign officials were being investigated. He probably doesn't really give a shit about all the actual rioters who were down there. No, no, of course I never meant that. That was that's ridiculous. But, but I just want to know where was this all this whining about committees when uh, there was Benghazi? Oh, and he's the worst. Eight years of investigating the Clintons for Whitewater and Vince Foster's death and Monica Lewinsky. You know what it is? They they have no proof. I know they you have, have nothing. To prove what you say. But now you're gonna threaten. Let's put, let's put these uh, bastards in jail for doing their job as congressmen. I mean, the, I don't remember. I don't remember when they had the Watergate hearings. That after the hearings, the Republican Party said, "Well, we're gonna punish all those senators who took part in the Watergate committee." Well, that's because the, that was a whole fucking different party. The, because this asshole changed things in 1994, Newt Gingrich. Because in 1994. He led this 
Republican Revolution and had his contract with America. And as a result of that, in 1994, the House, the Republicans gained 54 House seats and nine Senate seats, which gave uh, the GOP total control of Congress for the first time since 1953. That was all done by Newt Gingrich. And then that's how he became the fucking Reagan. Yeah, and then then that's how he became Speaker of the House. Yes. But was Gingrich, well, let me finish my tea here. Well, Gingrich was Gingrich was Reagan three. Well, Reagan two point five. Well, he rose up during the whole period of Reagan. Yeah, because Reagan was still he. I forget when he first got to Congress. He didn't get the speakership until Clinton. Yeah, it was not until nineteen ninety five. So it went Reagan, Bush, and then him over there in, yeah. the, in the Congress. Yep. But uh, basically, some scholars argue that Gingrich was the one who instilled a combative Gingrich. approach. Uh, where hateful language and hyperpartisanship became commonplace and democratic norms were abandoned. He frequently questioned the patriotism of Democrats, called them corrupt, compared them to fascists, and accused them of wanting to destroy the United States. Gingrich also um, oversaw several major government shutdowns in 1995 and there 1996. Was a lot, right? What? There was a lot. Yeah, it was two of them. And one was like for like three days, another one for like, was like 25 days, it was something like that. And the public ended up blaming the Republican Party for it. So then the 1998 election comes around, the Republicans lose five House seats instead of gaining them the way Gingrich predicted, because he thought with the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal that the Republicans were going to ride in on that. And Have you it watched didn't that happen. Yet? No, not yet. Oh, I keep telling me that. about that. You gotta watch that. And the funny thing is, at the same time as the Lewinsky scandal, he was having an affair with his one of his future wives at the time. Yeah. Who was yeah. 23 years younger than him. <laughs> yeah, Gingrich was married three times. He had affairs during his first two marriages. For his first marriage, and to find for divorce in the spring of 1980, he approached his wife in September in the hospital the day after she had undergone surgery for uterine cancer to discuss the divorce terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's classy like that. Following the divorce... She had what to... else is she going to do? She's just laying there? Following the divorce, the ex-wife had to raise funds from friends in her church congregation to help her and her two daughters, and she had to petition the court to give her more money. He was ordered to pay more, but according to the wife, never did. Never did. He then, after marrying his second wife, he cheated on her with his later third wife. What is his training? Is he a lawyer? Is he an accountant? I think lawyer. He's a lawyer? I think, I gotta check on that. I'm not really, I'm not really sure. And he filed for divorce a few months after wife number two was diagnosed with MS. Okay, okay. So this okay. is a real classy fucking guy. Well, you don't like medical issues. Yep. In search of... Yeah, but he was also, healthy. he was also investigated for, um, ethics violations... And the ethics committee had uh, concluded that he had violated federal tax law at one point, had lied to the ethics panel in order to force the committee to dismiss the complaint against them, and they referred the issue up to the IRS, but the IRS never followed up on it. Oh, no fucking... Well, but he's yeah, basically... It's basically the Republican Party we have today really starts with Newt Gingrich in 94 and the way he turned this Republican Party into this rabid dog that it is now. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens, because the popular... So that's why, I, 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 he may be a dinosaur, but he's a dangerous dinosaur, what, you know? What are we discussing? Is it his birthday? Did he die? Did he come No, out this, was, this was an interview that he did on Fox News this no, past week. No, what topic are we in in the podcast? This week in fascism. Oh my this God, pay the fuck attention! Okay, look, can we go back and time that rant you just did on fucking Newt Gingrich? That you know, you should just fucking have that transpo transcripted. Go ahead, carve it to marble. Go ahead, don't look at me. We what page are we on? Ninety six. We still have a hundred more pages to go. All right, all right, all right, all right. It'll be soon. Nothing can last forever. We now move on to our next segment. Sheila has a question. Oh, she did it again. Yes, she did. Wow. Look at you, Sheila. Her, her, she originally had a question about the affirmative action uh, thing, but I told her we were going to address that. We were going to address it. Look into my brief. So I, she had a second question, so that's the one we're going to address. Which is? Is there any governing body overseeing the Supreme Court, especially if its rulings seem partisan? No. Yeah, the, the general answer is no, there is not. No. Well, but, there's the electorate. The, and what happened was, what happened was the Republicans going back to where you are, and I'm not sure you're right. I would give that what you give to Gingrich. I I give that to Reagan. Give what to the Reagan? The seeds of the current Republican Party. 
To me, I go. I I, I would I, go even further back and go to Goldwater. Oh, well, you're older than me. <laughs> anyway, to Sheila's question, the electorate is is the only thing, but it took decades for the Republican Party to do what they've done. They play the long game. They, they absolutely knew what they, knew what they were doing. They were played the long game on the Supreme Court while the Democrats yeah, didn't. They, they knew it was the judiciary that they had to get a hold of. And mm-hmm. they got a hold of it. They did it. Nothing you could do about it except the well, American electorate has to go back and elect people who appoint people who become Supreme Court justices. Well, I'm saying that people, people have asked, you know, can justices be removed? Um, yes. Well, yes. But uh, being a Supreme Court justice is a lifetime appointment. It can only be relinquished by death, retirement, resignation, or impeachment. Impeachment. But only one justice was ever impeached in the House. That was Samuel Chase in 1803. And he was a dick. And he, well, yeah, he was a bit of a dick, uh, but he was acquitted in the Senate. They were all acquitted. Has there been a successful impeachment that led to an acquittal? Of a judge? No, No. that's for sure it happened with a judge, because they've done hundreds of judges. High profile. I mean, like presidents, presidents. It's, well, it's never. It hasn't gotten a, the clo- the 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 closest we've gotten is um, Clinton and Trump, yeah, and Johnson. Those those are the three presidents who were impeached. Yeah. All right. But anyway, you know, other people have been talking about it, that maybe they should add justices to the court. Jackson. Yeah, they want to go to eleven. They've been talking about that. I was looking at the history of how that was all done. Traditionally, it looks like Congress, I think, per the Constitution, sets the terms of the federal judiciary. And per the Judiciary Act of 1789, the court originally had six members. But they would change it because the Supreme Court judges back then also served as circuit judges, in which they rode the circuit. So their caseloads increased over time. So in 1807, they allowed seven justices. In 1837, they allowed nine in 1863, they allowed 10, and but then it went back to uh, 9 right after that. Well, actually, I think it was in 1867 after Grant became president. It makes no sense. So and it's been 9 ever since then. So first of all, it would take Congress to pass a law to change the number of Supreme Court justices. Right. It couldn't just be nominated by Joe Biden, and then Congress has to consider it. And it doesn't, unfortunately, it does not work that way. But others have also advocated for an amendment to allow Congress to impose either term limits or a mandatory retirement age, which I don't mind because justices are living longer and they're serving longer. Yeah. I mean, originally they the average was like 10 to 15 years. Now they're there like 20 to 30 years on average. When the Supreme Court meant something, when it was something that was revered, whether or not it deserved it at the time. Well, that was another thing I looked at, like the current... Approval ratings and stuff. I went to the Gallup site. In 2020, 58% of Americans approved of the job of the Supreme Court. How many? 58%. That's a lot. That's pretty high. I think it was like among, I was at the highest. It had been a while. It sunk to 49% in mm. July of 2021 and 40% yeah. in 2020, in yeah, September yeah. of that year. That's what I'm saying. And also 53% of it disapproved of the Supreme mm. Court. The percentage of Americans who have trust or confidence in the court dropped from 67% in 2020 to 54% in 2021. Gallup says that this is the worst polling it's ever seen in over the two decades or so that has been taking these kind of polls. So and it basically says that less than a, right now at this point, less than a majority of Republicans, Democrats, and independents approve of the job the court is doing. Barely half of Democrats and independents are confident in it, while confidence is slightly higher among Republicans. <laughs> With an 8 to 3 majority. <sighs> so, unfortunately, Sheila, no, there is no higher authority over the Supreme Court. There is. It's the electorate. The electorate, but they don't elect justices. It takes They're generations. To get you have the- to elect presidents that appoint the kind of justices that you want. They have to get through Congress, so you got to elect the congressman. So, yeah. Because part of the problem is these past couple of decades, I I always said I prefer to have a Democrat in presidency because of the Supreme Court. Because I know what kind of justices a Democrat is generally going to appoint to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish the Democrats had more hefty balls. Yeah. I know. That's Don't even get me started on that. I know. Don't get me started on that again, please. We now, we now move on to our our next segment. segment. One we haven't done in a while. Oh. 
celebrities saying stupid things. Oh, how is it that we haven't done this in a while? Because there hasn't been anything incredibly stupid in a while, but I think That's this qualifies. This really qualifies. Okay. Mars recently announced that it has updated the look of its M&M's characters. Oh, this was in my peripheral vision. Mars describes the changes in its announcement as a, quote, fresh modern take on the looks of our beloved characters and more nuanced personalities to underscore the importance of self-expression and power of community through storytelling. And, and quick like a buddy, Mars is a private company. Yep, private company. Publicly traded. Yep. But a private company. Yep. Continue. The company's new commitment includes what it describes as an updated tone of voice that is more inclusive, welcome, and unifying, while remaining rooted in our signature jester wit and humor. Okay, so what do the Republicans hate about this? Well, it wasn't just a Republican. It was the chief propagandist for the Fox News channel, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. He seems to have a thing about these M&Ms. What, what was this the is, Well, this is what he said. I, ho- I hope I have all the quote here. I have most of it, I think. Bet you didn't think M&M's were pushing intolerance, but they were. They've oh, been changed. God's sake. The green M&M, you will notice, is no longer wearing sexy boots. Now she's wearing sensible sneakers. Why the change? Well, according to M&M's, we all win when we see more women in leading roles. Because leading women do not wear sexy boots. Leading women wear frumpy shoes. The frumpier, the better. That's the rule. The other big change is that the brown M&M has transitioned from high stilettos to lower black heels, also less sexy. That's progress. M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't, until this moment, you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you are totally turned off, we've achieved equity. They've won. So, um... Yeah. yeah, it sounds like Tucker has a little problem with uh, the sexy female M&M's that he wants to have a drink with. Clearly he jerks off to candy. <laughs> I don't know what it... I, mean, I heard that, I was like, He's offended wow. because the shoes are no longer that. First of all, what straight man notices the shoe height? What? I never looked at them until he brought it to my attention. And, and not for nothing, but um, I am working on having the same shape as a peanut M&M. And what it is, is, is that peanut shape with skin. They shapeless legs. Mm-hmm. So shapeless legs look better in a high heel than they do in a, it's a shoe fetish. What's, what's going on with him? That's what I said. He must have a thing for stilettos. He probably has the hookers wear them on his Good morning when they walk on his Which back. Which is fine. <laughs> and listen, if Fox News is going to pay him to, to air his shoe fetish on the air, I can't complain. I can't. I can't. It's sad, but I can't complain. I know. You know, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I wish somebody would pay me to be disgusting. But I was going to suggest that people should send him a pair of white stiletto heels smeared with brown M and M's. Oh <laughs> my! What? Oh, it's diabolical. Because obviously he's got a thing for those stilettos. I don't think he's alone. I'm sure he's not, but we're talking about stilettos on a piece of fucking candy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not on sexy legs. <laughs> like, do you want to see... St- I don't know. Well, Tucker, I hope someday, one day, you'll forgive the M&Ms and you get to have that drink with them. You get to fuck that peanut M&M right where it needs it. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment. We like to watch. Oh, dude. Did you watch anything new or exciting this week? I have not. Really, I have not. Actually, neither have I. Because right, I've been busy with the shows, you know. But I did find some news that would be interesting to us, being that we've watched this and we've discussed this movie before. Disney is making a live-action remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I heard about this today. I thought it was silly. Rachel Ziegler, who played Maria in the recent film adaptation of uh, West Side Story, right. is starring as Snow White. Peter Dinklage. Peter you know Dink- Peter Dinklage. I know Peter Dinklage. Well, he's not too happy about this. I, I understand. But I don't understand why. Well, I'm going to tell you why. This is what he said on Mark Maron's, pro- po- uh, bleh, Mark Maron's podcast, What the Fuck. He said... Literally no offense to anyone, but I was a little taken aback when they were very proud to cast Latina actress as Snow White. But you're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. 
Take a step back and look at what you're doing here. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, but then you're still making that fucking backward story about seven dwarfs living in a cave together. What the fuck are you doing, man? Have I done nothing to advance the cause for my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. I don't know which studio that is, but they were so proud of it. All love and respect to the actress and all the people who thought they were doing the right thing. But I'm just like, what are you doing? If you tell the story of Snow White with the most fucked up, cool, or progressive spin on it, let's do it. All in. You want to know what I think? What do you think? That was the audition for Grumpy. <laughs> no, I don't think he's going to have anything to do with this movie. Do you, but do you understand what he's saying? Yeah. I, now, if you're going to update the story and now you're going to have a Latino actress playing Snow White, why don't you update the dwarves a bit then, too? Because you just know that they're going to be the butt, of, the butt of any humor, more than likely, in the movie, because of their size. How are you going to treat Dopey, the mute? So what So what, you know? he, what he's saying is, hide it. He's saying, update it. Contemporize it. If you're going to contemporize it enough to put a Latino actress playing Snow White, then contemporize the rest of the story. My question is with a Latina actress being such a revolutionary thing. How many non-white actresses do you know have played Snow White in anything? How many? Name one. One. Hold on, bulldog. I don't know that I could name any. Thank you, because there hasn't been any. Fine. But what he's saying is, if you're going to... He probably would probably say, why don't you just do an original story instead of doing this stupid fucking fairy tale about dwarves? First of all, Peter Dinklage has an ego, clearly. Well, of course he does. Um, he wouldn't yeah. be where he is without it. I think this this is this is this statement is through that lens. Well, of course it is. He's a little person. Of course it's through that lens. What other lens would it be through? I'm talking about his ego. He's. It sounds to me like he's pissed off. What What does anybody expect Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to look like? Why do you need to do a live-action remake of it? They're only doing it for the money. That's the only reason why they're doing it. There's yeah. no need for it. That's the business. That's the thing. That's the... That's, shut up! Well, who can... So so, don't go see it. Rally against it. Hold up your flags. But but me making this movie, unless I hire you, you are, shut up. I'm gonna spend my money make this movie. Well, they're doing it whether he says it. But with regardless of what he has to say, they're gonna make it. They don't really give a shit what he no, has no, to say. No, the fuck does Peter Dinklage have to do about Disney making a movie? He's offended because they're gonna cast seven short men. Or seven dwarfs. Seven dwar- seven men with dwarfism. He's saying if you're going to contemporize a story to include a Latino, non, a, a, a non-white actress playing Snow White, then contemporize the rest of the story. So what if Doc That's is, what he's saying. What if Doc is black? What if... Is that enough? What if sleeping... Why do they have to be dwarves? Why? Okay. Let's go back to the title. Yes. You're doing a live-action remake. Right. You're going to have exactly. seven little people dressed in those cute little outfits. Well, that's where you can update. Right, yeah. And they're going to be the butt of humor in that movie. People are no longer <laughs> laughing at animated dwarves from the 1940s. So, they're laughing at real little persons. So what it was, so, That's so, the difference. So so then so then what does he want? Does he uh, what does does he want to make seven dwarves and uh Snow White and the seven 5 foot 5 foot 6 Models? He probably doesn't want it made at all. Uh, so that he doesn't That's what he's it. saying. He either, he's saying either go all the way with the with the, all the changes or don't do it. That's what he's saying. The changes can be in not putting them in the outfits. Why can't there be a feature with seven seven people with dwarfism who represent themselves? It doesn't. They don't have to be bumbling idiots. They can be a team of people who come together to help this girl. And you know, they could be the A team. Well, we'll, we'll see when the, we'll see when the movie comes out. Do you think that Disney is so yes blind? Yes, that they're gonna make something offensive. Yes. Enough? Okay. Okay. Money talks, bullshit walks. And it's the same thing at Disney as any other corporation. I agree. I agree with you, but you know? I think you're, you're expecting them to go over line that they will not cross. Oh, I I don't okay. underestimate anything that any corporation, any multi-million, billion, trillion dollar corporation can or can't do. I don't underestimate that for one bit. Oh, right. Nope, I don't. 
Where are we going now? We now go on to five faves. Oh, I don't like this one. Why not? Because it's so broad, but I say that every week. All right, so go ahead and explain. The topic is your five favorite queens. But they have to have the, the word queen in it. Well, no, they should be. They have to have the title of a queen. Like That's why I said no princesses. I can't name Cher. No, she's not a queen. I mean, a royal title queen. That's what I'm talking about. You watch your mouth. All right, fine. Queen Elizabeth. Which one? The second of England, of Great Britain, of the Northern Isles. Okay. Yeah, it ain't been easy for her. No, it ain't. Uh, I don't know anybody who deserves to die. More than she does. Okay. Like, just for the rest, just to stop for a second, just to breathe. This is going on since World War II for her. Yeah. Yeah, this is crazy enough. Yeah, I respect her. I respect QE2. (laughs) Elizabeth Regina. Well, first on my list is a not-so-distant relation. It's Elizabeth the Queen Mother. Oh. She was a... In her old age, she was a feisty fun broad. <laughs> she had a lot of personality. She really did. Yeah. Well, she never expected to be queen. No, of course not. She she her husband she never expected be to be king, you know? Yeah, she was going to be Fergie. But no, it didn't work out that way. And she'd be, but like I said, I've, I never knew her as queen. I've only known her as queen mother. And as queen mother, she was like, she was great. She was great for the crown. She really was. Yeah. She really was a good, good, good image for the crown. As they say that the what she she gave herself her name, mm-hmm. so she put the name Queen in there twice. Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. The word Queen is there twice, and that was not a mistake. She did that on purpose. Of course, I'm sure. Elizabeth Bowes, all those Bowes, uh. those lions. So who's your second queen on your list? Uh, the evil queen who gives Sleeping Beauty the apple. Ooh. I love it, I love it, I love it. It's Sleeping Beauty the apple. No, not Sleeping Beauty. The one with the dwarves. Uh, oh, you mean the evil queen Snow White. Yeah, yes. give her the apple. She's on my list as well. Yeah, I like her. Yeah, she's a great, she's a great she's, evil queen. She's a, the essential. Although I didn't like when she turned into the old hag when she goes in the skies to give Snow White the apple. Well, that's the scary part. But, that's, you know, the, the, the witchy magic. But I love that she looked at the evil queen. She's like, ooh, well, she's she's a great look. Yeah, she was, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything a drag queen could want. All right, so that's number two for both of us. What's number three on your list? Uh, I'm going to go Latifah. Queen Latifah. Okay. I'm going to go Latifah. I'll allow it. It's in her name. She's, I'm not a hip-hop person. I'm not a rap person. Okay. I like that she does other things. I love the Dana Owens album. I like her acting. I think she was a great Mama Morton. I like that movie she made with Steve Martin. I can't remember the name of it. Eugene Levy was in it also. She was like, uh, she's like living in his, she's like living his in her kid. his house or whatever. I the, forgot the whole situation was. It was a stupid funny comedy. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, I like Queen Latifah. I like, I like, I like Dana. I'm glad she finally came out. Yeah, I didn't know she came. Took out. her freaking long enough. Oh, she's a lesbian. Yeah. Did she come out. As oh, please, black? honey. Everyone knew that that she was a lesbian. I didn't know. Now you know. I can't identify lesbians. Uh, who's number three on my list? Ah, the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. Oh. Off with their heads. Off with my their kind heads. of queen. Not to be confused with the Red Queen in Alice Through the Looking Glass. No, well, who would do, two different queens. Who would make that confusion? Sometimes people do confuse the two of them. Yeah, that's just they ref- They refer to her as the Red Queen. That's it's like, just, no, no, no. That's the Red Queen never the uneducated. was that crazy or anything. It's not as crazy as the Queen of Hearts. So that was my number three. What's your number four? Uh, I, I, I don't have one prepared. Wing it. She married the guy from Jordan. She was Queen. She was an American. I think queen was, Noor. Yes. That's her name, Queen Noor. She's beautiful. That's why I liked her. Oh, my God. She was beautiful. Gorgeous. Right? Unbelievable. Yeah. What happened to her? She's dead now. I'm sure she is. Let's find out. But he's still alive, isn't he? Let's go look in the Wayback Machine. She was from, like, Baltimore or Detroit or some, like... Queen Noor of Jordan. Industrial city. She was born Lisa Najib Halaby in Washington, D.C. Okay, same thing. Let me see. She, she graduated from Princeton. She moved to Australia, where she worked for a firm specializing in planning new towns. She wed King Hussein on June 15, 1978, 
in Amman, Jordan, becoming the Queen of Jordan. Let's see. I think she's still alive. But he's not married to her anymore. He's dead. He died oh, in February of 1999. His son, then Abdullah II, became the King of Jordan. I got it. Now she, the king's mother, right. don't matter no more. No, and she, that's what they're saying, that she divides her time between Jordan, Washington, D.C., and London. I was going to say that she even lived there anymore. Yeah, she continues to work on behalf of numerous international organizations. So, yeah, she's still alive. Yeah, beautiful is, woman. Um, I like the fact that she came from nowhere, became queen. She's currently 70 years old. Uh, did Grace Kelly ever become queen? No, she was only ever princess. No, she was only a princess. She was only a princess. So, who's number four on my list? Oh, you never heard of this one. Because it's from the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah, I don't know Lord of the Rings. Her name is Galadriel. She was the queen of the elves in the in Lothlorien, a region of Middle Earth. Puke. <laughs> Kate Blanchett played her in the movies. Okay. Oh, she looked great. Oh Everybody's got to do something for some money. Oh, it's a great. She's a great character. She okay. is a great character in the books too. But okay. You wouldn't know that. I would not know that. No, you wouldn't. Nope. So, what's your final choice, Thomas? Queens. Yes. Freddie Mercury. No. No, don't you tell me no. No, sorry. No, doesn't count. Well, then I'm not prepared. You're not prepared. I'm not prepared for number five. You'll be punished later for that. I can't uh, even think of what... I can't even think. We don't want you to do that. Then, don't no, I, I, I can't even think. You know, are there other queens? Who are the queens? I have the queen on the chessboard. What are the queens? You tell me. You... Oh. Must I help you with everything? What's your fifth choice? My fifth choice is the Borg Queen in the film Star Trek First Contact. Okay. Did you ever see that? No. No, it's a science fiction. You don't watch science fiction. Yeah, no. Great character. Great evil character. Okay. Yeah. Good. So that's our five, four, nine. Nine phase. Yeah. Yeah. It's you. Because I, I can't think of another fucking queen like this. Queens all over the place. Who cares? I can't use Freddie Mercury. I can't use RuPaul. Who cares? We now move on to the ending of our show tonight. Well, we're tickling it hard. Any plans for the coming week, Thomas? Oh, I'm going to work the weekend. Yes. Where I, are you going to be working at? I'm going to be working on Wellwood Avenue down there, Studio Theater, Long Island.com. What's going on there at Studio Theater? Uh, there's some British farce. See how they run? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's happening. Yes. It's closing weekend. So yes, it's this closing weekend. Last uh, show is on the 30th. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you how exciting my week is, my, my life is. Next weekend, uh, Studio Theater, I, I will, whatever, it was dark. Okay. So I'm going to work over at the place in East Islip instead. Oh. Yeah, all right. That's okay. It's Aww. fine with me. That's where, you know, that's where it all stands and that's where it all begins. I'll that's, miss you. You're not going to be there. <laughs> I'll miss you anyway. Uh, uh, you're a dick. <laughs> and it's also Stephen's last weekend of his show. This weekend? This coming weekend. So they like, only ran two weekends. So only two weekends. Okay. Yes, their last show was on Saturday the 29th. And he played a And court, that's at right? South Shore Theater Experience, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, also on Wellwood Avenue in Lindenhurst. Stephen plays a corpse. He does not play a corpse. He's one of the suspects. Okay. So, yeah. Continue. We would like to thank my husband and producer, Stephen Prendergast. Our episodes are available everywhere. Yeah, don't go through the list. It's so... Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter, so you can follow us there. You can go to our website. We have our blog, where we list all of our episodes, and we also have bonus material for all our episodes. That's about it. Anything else from you, Thomas? Anything you'd like to add? Bye, bitches! Bye, everyone. Bye.